You've seen the locker room celebrations that take place after somebody's won a big game, right? Well, last year, when the Indianapolis Colts won the Super Bowl, there was a part of the celebration that most of us didn't get to see. Here's Indianapolis Colts coach Tony Dungy. Several of the players came to me and said, Coach, we've got to finish this the way we always do. We're waiting to do the, do the prayer. Well, the Super Bowl is so different. There's so much coverage. The media's in there already. People are just all over the place. And I just kind of held my hand up and said, if you would just excuse us and, and turn the cameras off for three minutes and let us finish our season the way we always do. And I think the, the reporters were really baffled because they thought they'd see the champagne and and the the celebration and it was really our guys doing what they always do. This is Family Life Today. Our host is the president of Family Life, Dennis Rainey, and I'm Bob Lapine. We'll find out today that there is a lot that is different about the kind of football team that coach Tony Dungy runs. Stay with us. And welcome to Family Life Today, Dennis. Bob, today we're going to talk about The Lord of the Rings. The movies or the books? or Neither. Okay. The Lord of the Rings. And I happen to know a man who is here in the studio with us who has three rings. And we're going to talk about those three rings. All right. Let me see your hands, Coach. Well, he's just got Only one. one ring is on. Only one ring, the, the most important ring. <laughs> Where's the Super Bowl rings? The Super Bowl rings, uh, actually, both of them I uh, wore for about a month right afterwards. Everyone wants to see them, and you kind of show them off, and it's exciting. And then after that, uh, there's another challenge, so you kind of look forward to winning the next one. Also, you're only going to allow yourself a month to wear the ring? <laughs> that, that's been the, the, the history. Now, if we want another one, maybe I'll, I'll bend that rule a little bit. <laughs> well, that's the voice of uh, Coach Tony Dungy, who uh, coached the Indianapolis Colts to the Super Bowl title. And uh, I must mention, you have another Super Bowl ring from your time with the Steelers. Right. Uh, as a player with the Steelers in 1978 and then last year, 2006, with the uh, Colts. You've written about your the story of your life in a book called Quiet Strength, and um, I want to tell you about reading your, your book, Tony. Um, Barbara and I had some extended time off. We actually had a sabbatical. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been in ministry for 37 years, and uh, the board of directors of Family Life uh, graciously allowed us to take 75 days, Coach. I hate to say that to a coach who works <laughs> who works so hard year-round. To cause you to stumble That's about, about that. That's about 10 years vacation time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I received a copy. Uh, you graciously sent me one, and uh, I read it in about the first 48 hours of my sabbatical. And I have to tell you, it set the tone for my sabbatical and for our time together with the Lord and with one another because your book is about your journey and your journey of faith. And uh, I do want to talk about the Lord of the Rings, and there are those three rings we want to talk about, but I want to take you back to a confrontation you had with uh, Donnie Shell. Okay, yeah. And, and how he confronted you about your lack of faith, because I, I believe the quiet strength you write about in your book uh, is really built upon the family you came from and then some key intersections in your life. Absolutely. And one of them occurred with uh, with Donnie. Yes, sure did. Donnie Shell was my roommate. He was uh, four years older than me uh, with the Pittsburgh Steelers. 
he had gotten uh, saved through a, a meeting with uh, Doc and Paul Esselman at uh, Chapel before a game. Really a neat, on-fire Christian. So I come to the Steelers as a young rookie, 21 years old, and I get put in with this guy. And uh, it was really life-changing for me because he was one of the first guys that I met that was on fire for the Lord where you saw it in everything that he did. And he mentored me for a, a year and a half. And I'm listening to him, reading with him, getting into my Bible, getting in heavy discussions at night. And uh, all of a sudden, I had an illness uh, coming into my second year, had mononucleosis, wasn't able to practice, starting to get frustrated. And he stopped me one day at training camp and said, you know, you're professing that you believe in God, but I don't see it from your actions. I don't see it from the way you're handling this. God's trying to find out if he's in first place in your life or your career or football or something else. And that's what this is all about. And I thought about that that afternoon, and that was the first time I really understood. I said, you know what, you're right. I say that God's in first place, but I don't always exhibit that. And uh, that was a big turning point for me. At that point, um, you begin to to walk the talk. I really did. And I, I said that if I recover from this illness and I'm able to continue to play, I'm going to know what really is important, that it's not football and that can go at any time. And it's really serving the Lord wherever you put me. And so if you cause me to recover and I'm still playing, I'm going to put you first. If I end up being someplace else, I'm going to put you first. And ever since then, uh, I've been in football 28 years since Mm -hmm. then, but I've always remembered that, that that it's really the Lord's career. You you have a a distinction at at the Steelers um, of holding a record in the NFL that no other player holds. Isn't that right? Uh, I, I think I'm the last person to do it, and maybe the, one of the few people to do it since they started playing two platoon. Back when they just had one platoon football, a lot of people did it, but I actually uh, caught an interception in a game and then came back and threw an interception <laughs> later on in the game in 1977. So it hasn't been done in 30 years, and uh, uh, it was just one of those things that uh, <laughs> it was hard to explain, but it was a big day for me. You were a college quarterback, right? I was a college quarterback and uh, changed to defensive back in the pros my first year with Pittsburgh. Uh, I got my first interception in the old Houston Astrodome, and games rolling along pretty well, and then we started losing our quarterbacks. And uh, everyone got hurt, and at the beginning of the fourth quarter, we didn't have anyone to put in. <laughs> so because I had played there in college, they put me in. Coach said, I, get Dungey yes. over here. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I finished the game at quarterback, and uh, it was a big thrill. <laughs> that wasn't the only thing that you caught in Pittsburgh, though. Dr. John Guest introduced you to a young lady. He surely did. Um, a lady by the name of Lauren Harris, who was uh, in his congregation at the time. I was do- filling in, actually. Uh, for another one of our players at a father and son banquet. And he talked to me and said, you know, afterwards, there's a girl in this congregation I think would be perfect for you. And I tried to avoid him for about a month after that, but he chased me down, kept after me. You were you were kind of shy with the opposite sex. I was very shy uh, at the time. And also, this was a large church. So I figured if there's 5,000 people in this church and the girl doesn't have 
a boyfriend or can't find one in of all these people, you know, maybe it's not that, that great of a, an opportunity. But as it turned out, he was, uh, he was exactly right. Uh, she was really just perfect uh, compliment to me, and we've been married 26 years. Now. I, I want to take you back to that, uh, that moment on her parents' couch in her home where you turned to her and you were attempting a proposal. Now, I, I'm watching you on the sidelines at how cool and calm and what a leader you are, Coach. But I have to tell you, in your book, uh, Quiet Strength, when I read this story, I thought, he couldn't define the relationship. She had no idea you were in love with her. No, I I, I, I thought I did a pretty good job, but <laughs> apparently uh, I left a few things maybe not not quite on track, but... Um, we were talking, and I thought it, I was making myself very clear. But uh, you were talking I, about the ideal woman you wanted to marry, and, and what the marriage relationship should be, and how it was going to be joyous for a lifetime. And, and all she those thought things. in her mind you were asking. Uh, she thought I was just describing a hypothetical situation. I guess <laughs> <laughs> she thought you were in love. You, you're writing your book with another woman, and, and was seeking her advice. Well, I think she was exaggerating a little bit there, but <laughs> but yeah, she didn't know exactly what I was saying, and I was trying to say this is what marriage should be like, and I think this is what it can be like for us, and it would be wonderful. And uh, she didn't grasp it all immediately well you were married and ended up with uh, a great honeymoon story bob and i like to ask <laughs> we love to ask honeymoon stories because uh, as jesus christ was the lord of this ring in your life uh, the most important one as you said you started out your marriage with uh, quite an adventure yeah, so looking back on it, we laugh at it now, but it was a tough, tough time. We had a little difference of opinion right off the bat. We got married in Pittsburgh, and I said we should stay there that night after the wedding, relax, just have a nice evening there, and then we could fly out to our honeymoon and go. And Lauren's idea was she did not want to spend her wedding night in her hometown, so she wanted to take off. So we flew. Actually, we're going to San Francisco. We had the wedding. We flew, stopped in Denver, changed planes, flew. By the time we got there, uh, it was very late, and we just ran into one problem after another. Uh, I ended up breaking the key to the car in the lock, had to wait an hour to get a replacement key. Uh, we finally got to our hotel in San Francisco. It's about uh, 3 or 4 in the morning, you know, Eastern time. And we just get there and get up to the 12th floor, and someone cut the power and so all the lights went out. <laughs> so we find it was just a long, long night. And um, of course, I'm thinking to myself, you know, I know if we what stayed you're thinking in yourself. Pittsburgh, none of this would happen. <laughs> and she's thinking, well, if you knew how to drive a car, none of this would happen. And uh, it got off to a, a tough start. But then uh, after two days in San Francisco, we kind of made up with each other and. Uh, and uh, then went to Hawaii from there, and it was really, really fun. God has has blessed you and Lauren with uh, six children. You don't know this, Tony, but uh, Barbara and I have six children as well, and one of ours is adopted. Okay. Now, you have how many that are adopted? Well, we um, have a 23-year-old daughter, and then uh, James, our son who died, would have been 21, and then we have a 15-year-old, Eric. After that... Uh, we went a while, and my wife still wanted more kids, and <laughs> uh, so we now have uh, seven, six, and two-year-old in the house, and uh, they've been a tremendous blessing. They really have. Now, as a young man growing up, did you ever think about adopting a child? 
Probably not. Um, you know, Lauren's family was a large extended family. Uh, her parents and grandparents got involved in foster parenting. Uh, when we first got married, we were emergency foster parents, and we'd take young kids in that had problems at home or just needed a place to stay until they got situated. And so we did that uh, for a number of years, but never really thought that seriously uh, about adopting. Uh, we went and visited uh, a couple of agencies. One of my um, coaches on our staff at Tampa ended up adopting a little boy as a single parent. And that kind of really sparked us. And it, it was uh, just a, a big thrill to understand that you could fulfill your desires mm -hmm. and, and Lauren's desires to continue parenting and also uh, help someone who uh, who needed that that place to be nurtured. So it's been uh, it's been wonderful. Were you hesitant at all when the idea of adoption came up? You know, a lot of people think I don't know if I could love a child who's not my biological child. I I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. No, not not from that standpoint at all. It's just that, just that six I'm kids, looking, six kids in uh, in our in our in my fifties. I should say I won't speak for my wife. But I'm <laughs> heading towards my fifties and and all the work that we have and then getting another set. Uh, of course, at the time, I didn't know it was going to be another set. It started out being, well, we need to do this. And then after a year, well, we don't want him to grow up as an only child. And the other kids are so much older. So maybe another one. And um, and I, I probably should have known that my wife wouldn't stop with one. <laughs> you know, uh, I just want to thank you for modeling that, though, because I think one of the great opportunities for the Christian community today is around uh, the subject of orphans. and uh, The Bible talks a lot about that, about our responsibility as a society and what we should do for people in need. And that can be very young people, can be older people, but uh, we certainly in this country have a lot of young people in need of homes that Christian homes can provide. And because Jesus Christ was the Lord of your wedding ring, um, you listened to his voice and followed him in uh, adopting those three. I want to I want to take a moment, though, and just talk about, I think sometimes people can idealize adoption, and they think it's just this uh, a fairy tale of going and getting a child who doesn't have a family and giving them one, and it's perfect. Your uh, second child that you adopted, Jordan, you uh, found out not long after uh, you adopted uh, the little boy that uh, he had a congenital uh, insensitivity to pain. Yes. Share with us about that. Very, very rare situation happens uh, in some Middle East countries and in Asia, but not very much here. And uh, we didn't really know at the time, but uh, he got his shots and didn't cry at all and things like that. That You just said, wow, this is a really a great baby. And as it turned out, he doesn't have the conductors that actually transfer the sense of pain from the skin to the brain. And uh it has been an enlightening thing to us. Number one, it's taught us why God allows pain in your life because it's really hard to teach some things without pain. And then number two, it, it's been tough. It's, it's uh, tested our ability to parent, and my wife has just done a tremendous job of raising him and nurturing him and being around him 24 hours a day almost and helping him learn what's bad for him and what isn't without that pain there to tell them. You don't think of pain being essential. And uh, we really do now. I mean, it is so, um, he's got a cast on his foot now that uh, from really jumping too high off of a, a, a swing set 
you know, without any fear of, of what the consequences are. And he really can't understand uh, in his mind that things are hurtful and think this is going to hurt you. That pain teaches you that right away and is a great, great teacher, but he doesn't have that. So we have to talk about it. Hey, I know this doesn't feel bad, but this could hurt you jumping off a swing set. And um, you can see where God has to use that sometimes to slow us down and turn it back towards us. I think the biggest lesson that I learned is all of our other kids, you would say, hey, don't run in the house. They'd take off running, and eventually they're going to hit something Mm -hmm. and start crying and turn right back to you and run and jump in your arms. And Jordan, you'd say, hey, don't run in the house. You're going to hurt yourself. He would just run into things, run over things, and keep going uh, and think it was a game. And it was just a great metaphor to me. I could just picture all those other kids getting hurt and turning and running towards us. And uh, we always had to chase him. And, and I said, right when I saw that, that's, that's why God allows pain sometimes to help us turn back to him. When you experience pain now yourself? Oh, I think much differently about it, no question. Yeah, it just automatically yeah. the thought is this is a good thing. This is a good thing. God has sent me something to let me know hmm. there's something wrong. Hmm. Coach, um, as I read your book uh, and uh, also as I've watched your life, family is is uh, constantly emerging as one of your most important values. You've um, helped give leadership to a, a ministry called All Pro Dads. You've spoken. You've written on the subject. Um, why is it such a part of uh, uh, who you are, as um, especially in your job? Because you really pay attention to how these coaches and players are dealing with their families. It's important because I guess I've seen both sides of the coin. Uh, I grew up, both my parents were teachers, and they spent so much quality time in our lives. Uh, my wife's parents were the same way. Uh, her dad was in real estate and her mom was a nurse, but they were around all the time nurturing their kids. We saw the benefits of that. Our kids saw the benefits of that with both sets of grandparents around. And uh, as I got into this job and see more and more young men come up without that, that, hey, it was just the grandmother or just the mom or just the dad, and just seeing so much of that and realizing that they did not have the benefit of that close family, of that nurturing that I had. And uh, we've got to get back to that as a country. I think that's so important. You know, the last time we sat down with you, I've never forgotten this, we asked you about the demands of coaching and how that interferes with family. And I remember you saying that you'd thought, and I don't know if we just caught you on the, the right day or what, but you said, I wondered, maybe I'll do this a couple more years and then turn it off. So I kind of expected after the Super Bowl win that maybe you'd say, you know, I, I reached it. That's it. I'm going to I'm gonna retire. I thought about it long and hard. And uh, my wife and I actually talked uh, quite a bit that week leading up to the Super Bowl. The week afterwards, I talked to Jim Irsay several times afterwards, our owner. And I, I, was, I thought about it very seriously uh, and decided to come back for a number of reasons. I think that the platform that the Lord has given me uh, is, is a great platform now, and I want to use that uh, for him. But it, it, it won't be long. It really won't be uh, another few years, I don't think. You think you can step away? I mean, is it – this is so much in your blood. You've done this <laughs> – Well, well Bob, but, but what he said he was going to do. 
He said he was going to coach junior high football. <laughs> That's right. Well, I don't know if I'll coach junior high football, but I, I, I will do something on a volunteer basis. One of the downsides of this is you have your schedule laid out basically from July until February, and there, there's nothing you can do to change it. Um, Labor Day, we're practicing. Right. Uh, Thanksgiving, right. we're playing or practicing. Columbus Day, Christmas, New Year's. And for 27, 28 years, you have all that laid out instead of being able to say, you know what, I'd like to take a day off or I'd like to take a Thursday off here. Uh, you don't really have one off day during the season. So I, I think my ultimate will be able to spend a little bit more time with the family to be involved in a church setting, a Sunday school year round, which I haven't been able to do in 30 in some years. But also to be able to say, you know what, uh, I might be able to just take this Thursday off and do something with my kids because they've got a day off school. Mm. I want to talk about uh, those other two rings, the other two Super Bowl rings you have, and specifically the one you just won about a year ago. Um, and I've been looking forward to asking this question because as I watched the celebration after the game, you were there on the podium along with the owner of the Colts, Jim Ursay, and I was uh, I was astounded that both in the AFC uh, championship and at the Super Bowl, he made a statement. This is not going to be exact, but you, you mm-hmm. probably know what I'm getting ready to say, don't you? Mm-hmm. Why don't you share with our listeners what he said? Because it, it was it was powerful to me. He said in, in both situations, he said this this is a great setting up here. We're on this podium. We've won. We've got the national spotlight. And he said there's a lot of glory up here. Uh, but really, we want to direct the glory to the Lord. And I think that caught a lot of people by surprise because this was our first championship and many people were expecting a lot of things, a lot of emotion, but they weren't expecting that. And uh, I know I had a chance to follow him both times, and it gave me 45 seconds to a minute to really think about what I wanted to say on this platform with uh, 100 million people watching. And I was able to just take off on that and say, uh, yeah, we are very, very thankful for this win. It's great for our organization, great for our Colts family, uh, but we want to direct the credit to the Lord. In fact, after the game, there's a, there's a picture of what took place in the locker room. Really unbelievable scene. We always finish like that. Normally, uh, in every game, we come in, I come into the locker room, we gather all the players. We have what they call a 10-minute cooling-off period uh, that you can just be with your players before the media gets in um, so you can gather your thoughts and that type of thing. So we always talk about the game, what happened, then we say our team prayer, and then we let the media in. Well, the Super Bowl is so different. There's so much coverage. The media is in there already. People are just all over the place. And we're probably 45 minutes after the game. And one of the players or several of the players came to me and said, Coach, we've got to finish this the way we always do. We're waiting to do the prayer. Mm -hmm. So we've got all these people in there. And I just kind of held my hand up and said, if you would just excuse us and, and turn the cameras off and the microphones off for three minutes and let us finish our season the way we always do. And everybody did. We all took a knee. Even many of the reporters in there did. And uh, one guy kind of disregarded my wishes and took a picture of it. But it ended up going all over the Internet. It was in the USA Today the next day. And I think the the reporters were really baffled because they thought they'd see the champagne and and the the celebration. And it was really our guys doing what they always do. The inscription under the picture in your book says, For a brief moment, we pushed the Super Bowl trophy to the side, and we bowed and gave thanks 
to the God of the universe. Yeah, the picture was really powerful. And again, it's just a way of the Lord working. I had asked for, for no cameras, and one guy took a shot, but he got the perfect shot. We're there in a group. We're all kind of huddled up. The Super Bowl trophy is in the side of the picture. It's still visible, but it's not in the middle. It's on this crate where with the oranges and the Gatorade are. And it was very symbolic that, hey, what the world sometimes thinks is so, so important really is, is secondary in the long run. Now, you say that, but you're heading headlong into another run for another one of those trophies. Well, we sure hope so. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's what you start every year. Uh, with that being the goal. And that's why you play. That's why we play the 16 games in the playoffs. That's why our players train in the offseason and lift weights and run and all those things. But what I try to remind the guys is my favorite passage in the Bible is, what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world Mm. but forfeits his soul? So even though it's important, it's our goal, it can't be the thing that we focus on all the time because that trophy, someone else is going to get it next year. Hopefully we do, but if we don't, someone else is. Um, It's not going to guarantee you anything. It's not going to guarantee you happiness. It's not going to give you even lifelong prosperity. It's a goal, and it brings you together as a, a team but it can't be your whole focus, and that, that's always my message to our guys. You've heard people who observe sport say that somebody who thinks like you do is likely not to win many of those because unless you make it the center focus, the number one thing, you just won't have the drive to get there. I've heard that, and uh, before we won ours, that was one of the criticisms of me, that I don't take it seriously enough, that I don't put enough into it to really drive people to – to play beyond their capacity to win those. And that's why I was probably happier uh, than anything that the way the game turned out with us playing against the Bears and Lovey Smith uh, coaching the Bears, a guy who I know and he thinks the same way and has the same ideals and same thoughts about the Lord to get there so we could kind of show the country doesn't matter what you hear. It doesn't matter what people think. Here's two Christian leaders of their team, and uh, it was it was just uh, really, really an honor to, to do it that way. You know, you, you did do it that way, and you honored Christ as you uh, suffered setbacks and losses in previous seasons and uh, also in winning. There's something you handed out, I believe, to almost every team you've ever coached. And I was just looking for it here in your book, and I, I can't find it. It's a piece about vision. I can't quote it from memory, but it really the, – the message was we've all got to grasp the same vision. And if we have the vision of going forward, if we have the vision of going together, we can do it. Uh, no matter how good we are as individuals, if we don't grab that same vision, uh, we're, we're not going to get to our goal. And as you go for that goal, how you go about achieving it is just as important as the goal you achieve. It is, and that's one thing I tell our team every year when we have our first team meeting in July when we start the season. Our our goal is to win a Super Bowl, but if that's all we do, if we just win uh, and we don't do things right, if we don't impact our community, if we don't care for each other, if we don't take care of our families, uh, if we just win a Super Bowl, you're going to be very disappointed at the end. And uh, when we had our party after the, after the game last year, I think that hit home to everybody. Yes, we won, but look how we won. Look at the fun we had. Look at how we kind of lifted each other up. Look at what we did for the city of Indianapolis. Uh, we did it the right way, and we made uh, our state proud. Uh, I, I think that was the, the thing that sitting there was more important to guys than the fact that we just won. 
I'm grateful you put your story. I know you didn't want to write this book, but I'm really grateful you put that story in print because it really does model for people what a walk of faith looks like Mm -hmm. from a very interesting career. Well, there are obviously folks who agree with you because the book has been a New York Times bestseller, and we've got copies of it in our Family Life Resource Center. If you're a football fan or know a football fan, or if you just want to read a compelling story of a real walk of faith in in a challenging environment... You can get a copy of Tony Dungy's book, Quiet Strength. Go to our website, familylife.com, or if it's easier, call 1-800-FL-TODAY. It's 1-800-358-6329. Someone on our team will make arrangements to have a copy of that book sent out to you. Well, tomorrow, uh, you have heard people say that sports and athletics helps develop character. We're going to find out how that has been true for Coach Tony Dungy, who joins us again tomorrow. Hope you can be with us for that. I want to thank our engineer today, Keith Lynch, and our entire broadcast production team. On behalf of our host, Dennis Rainey, I'm Bob Lapine. We'll see you back tomorrow for another edition of Family Life Today. Family Life Today is a production of Family Life of Little Rock, Arkansas, a ministry of Campus Crusade for Christ.